Let's go to Isaiah chapter 23, and Lord willing, we're actually going to cover a few ver a few chapters as we study Isaiah 23 in reference to the judgment of Tyre and Sidon. So a couple of cities there in Phoenicia. And then in chapter 24, it's the judgment of the whole world. It's the judgment of planet Earth. And then when we get into chapter 25, it's going to be uh, more of a song of praise. And so... You know, for us uh, as Christians, we go through these things. So we need to know, you know, God is a holy God and God is going to bring uh, judgment. God is going to bring justice and every wrong that's done will be made right. And one of the things you'll find when you read the Bible is that every nation, every nation of the world will eventually be judged. And so you think of, and I don't want to sound weird or anything, but you think of someone like, you know, China, you think of the United States of America, you, you know, you think of uh, the different nations, especially those surrounding Israel. Um, God is going to deal with every single one. And I'm telling you this, man, when the tribulation period comes, he is going to flatten them. He is going to uh, just bring havoc to earth. And so for us, you know, thank God we're Christians. We uh, will not be judged. We're going to get raptured before that happens. But it definitely should stir us up with an urgency, you know, to be able to share with people. And so Isaiah 23 in this chapter, we're going to read of God's judgment upon Tyre. And he mentions Sidon as well. And to me, when I read about this uh, city, really, I think it's the epitome. It symbolizes uh, money, materialism, possessions, all that kind of stuff. Because you're going to see a similarity, what we're going to read here in Tyre, um, uh, in Revelation chapter 18, when eventually God does judge commercial Babylon. And so when I think of Tyre and Sidon, if you guys can visualize, I think we actually have a map of that area. Let me see if I can show it to you. So on the, on the, on my, on the left side right there, you have Israel, you have modern-day Lebanon, you have a couple of cities there, Tyre and Sidon. And so this uh, city, Tyre, was actually, it's an, it's an ancient city, uh, 2,700, established 2,700 years before Christ, and they would actually trade all over the world, all the way to Spain. You're going to see it today when we talk about Tarshish. And so it's a, a huge seaport where they would bring in tons of stuff from all over the world. And so it's like the symbol of uh, prosperity, the symbol of materialism. So when I look at it, I, I don't know why I think of like maybe Long Beach or L.A. and New York. I mean, we're talking like big cities like that and just thinking about how, you know, one day they're going to be judged. And so everybody in the area, they all wail, they all mourn because, man, that's the that's the way we made all our money. That's where we got all our stuff. And so um, we're going to see that that's the issue here. And then the right side right here, you see where they would travel from these uh, ports all over the world and even over here in Spain. Um, and so we're going to read about that today. One last thing maybe you should mention, I should note, I don't know if you can see it from where you are, but there's an island. It's 150 miles off the coast right there. It's Cyprus. And that's also mentioned in uh, our text today because even uh, what would happen is they would bring these ships and they would uh, uh, sometimes dock in Cyprus because of just the way that it, it was a, of an ideal place. And we're going to see that um, Isaiah talks about how they found out what happened in Tyre and they couldn't even enter the port. So they should just leave. They should just, you know, run away. And so um, we'll, we'll read it here. Uh, let's go ahead and get into our text in verse 1 of Isaiah 23. 
It says, the burden against Tyre, wail, you ships of Tarshish. And so some, like I said, Tarshish is more than likely in reference to a literal city in Spain, but also some people will tell you that he's talking about big ships, just big ships. He says, wail, you ships of Tarshish, for it is laid waste so that there is no house, no harbor uh, from the land of Cyprus. It is revealed to them. And so he says in verse 2, Be still, you inhabitants of the coastland, you merchants of Sidon, whom those who cross the sea have filled, and on great waters the grain of Shihor, the harvest of the river is her revenue, and she is a marketplace for the nations. And so some are, are crying, some are, are, are like wailing. The, the word in the Hebrew is howling. While others, they're, 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 this, like they, they're silent. He says, be still. It's almost like you can't say anything. And again, like I said, imagine one of these big cities, just, you know, huge cities, prosperous cities being judged, you know, by God. Right here in, in verse 3, he says, and on great waters, the grain of Shihor. This is in reference to a city in Egypt that was fed by the Nile River, uh, that, that river that's mentioned right there, the harvest of the river, where many um, nations would receive their grain through her. And so he goes on to talk about this judgment in verse 4. Be ashamed, O Sidon, for the sea has spoken, the strength of the sea, saying, I do not labor nor bring forth children, neither do I rear young men nor bring up virgins. Uh, the NLT says it this way, but now you are put to shame, city of Sidon, for Tyre, the fortress of the sea, says, now I am childless. I have no sons or daughters. And so it's in like a personification of the sea in, in reference to this city, basically saying that everything, everything has been stripped away. And so we read in verse 5, when the report reaches Egypt, they also will be in agony at the report of Tyre. And so cross over to Tarshish, wail, you inhabitants of the coastland. Is this your joyous city whose antiquity is from ancient days? Like I mentioned to you, the 2700, year, 2700 BC, I mean, it's an old city, been around forever. You know, is this the joyous city whose feet carried her far off uh, to dwell? Who, who has taken this counsel? Who, who planned this disaster against Tyre, the, the crowning city, whose merchants are princes, whose traders are the honorable of the earth? And the answer in verse 9 is the Lord. Man. The Lord of hosts has purposed it to bring to dishonor the pride of, of all glory, to bring into contempt all the honorable of the earth. And so when, when you study this city, it's an interesting thing. Um, Tyre was very, very difficult to conquer. Um, Assyria, now when Isaiah is talking about uh, what we're reading here, uh, most commentators believe that he's, in, he's referring to uh, the way that they would be uh, judged by Assyria, but um, Assyria didn't completely conquer them, nor did Babylon. You fast forward and you study history, 585 BC, and you'll find that um, Babylon attempted to conquer Tyre. 
Um, but the, the, the difficulty with it, it was a, such a rich city and it was a, it was a port city. So uh, Babylon actually sieged uh, Tyre. So they surrounded it the best that they could on this side for 13 years. Think about that. And so um, what Tyre did was they, um, they were so great in their navy. They were so amazing in the way that they were able to you know, protect themselves. Uh, some believed that they had walls out there that were 100 feet high. Think about that. And so um, it wasn't until Alexander the Great came and he was uh, the one that was able to conquer Tyre. And the story is amazing. What he did was he took the rubble, the Babylon conquered the city, but they had created another city uh, outside, like an island about a mile out. And so what Alexander the Great eventually did was he took the rubble of the city that was on the coastland and they put it in the in the water in the in the in the ocean until eventually they were able to kind of create this uh, this pathway or I don't know if you call it peninsula all the way to the city, and it was then that they were utterly destroyed. When Alexander the Great went in there and conquered Tyre, I mean, right immediately three thousand were slain, six thousand were sold. I mean, what what God did to this city, uh, it, it just He just leveled it. And so when Assyria conquered it, we're going to see later, 70 years later, they were reborn. Um, But again, when I look at this, again, literal things happened. They're definitely a lesson to us. But to me, I, I, I read it and I'm like, man, this is about possessions. This is about materialism. This is about commercialism. This is about all the things that money can buy. And when you read it in the Revelation chapter 18, you know what God says? Come out of there. Come out of that city of materialism, lest you be judged with them. And so, again, a literal thing, but I think there's more to it. You know, the, the Lord is the one who did it. Because some might say, well, it was Assyria, or it was Babylon, or it was Alexander the Great. No, it was the Lord. It was the Lord who did it. And doesn't that trip you out, you guys, when you think about it, how one day God will judge the world? I mean, it just, uh, it's right around the corner. He's already begun that judgment. And so in verse 10, he says, Overflow through your land like the river, O daughter of Tarshish. There is no more strength. He has stretched out his hand over the sea, and he shook the kingdoms. The Lord has given a commandment against Canaan, or some translations say Phoenicia, to destroy its strongholds. And he said, you will rejoice no more, O you oppressed virgin daughter of Sidon. Arise, cross over to Cyprus. There also you will have no rest. Behold, the land of the Chaldeans, this people which was not, Assyria founded it for wild beasts of the desert. They set up its towers. They raised up its palaces and brought it to ruin. Wail, you ships of Tarshish. For your strength is laid waste. And, and when you study Isaiah 13, 14, and just all the way to where we are now, you'll see that there's nine nations basically in the vicinity of Israel where God basically said that they would eventually be judged. And so now we come to Phoenicia and these two cities, uh, Sidon and Tyre, and, and God uh, deals with them in this way. But look what happens in verse 15. It says, Now it shall come to pass in that day 
that Tyre will be forgotten 70 years according to the days of one king. And at the end of 70 years, it will happen to Tyre uh, as in the song of Harlot. Now, it's interesting. Like I mentioned earlier, Assyria came in. Uh, they pretty much uh, shut the trading down uh, in the year uh, 70 B.C. And so you uh, go from 70 B.C. to 630 B.C. when they were weakened. And uh, it was then that they were able to regain their autonomy and restore their trade. Just like God said, you know, and it's interesting because the 70 years, we know that was a prophecy for Israel, how they would be in Babylon 70 years. And this is something that happened to Tyre as well. And so um, he says in verse 16, take a harp, go about the city, you forgotten harlot, make sweet melody, sing many songs that you may be remembered. And it shall be at the end of 70 years that the Lord will deal with Tyre she will return to her hire and commit fornication with all the kingdoms of the world on the face of the earth. And her gain and her pay will be set apart for the Lord. It will not be treasured nor laid up for her gain will be for those who dwell before the Lord to eat sufficiently and for fine clothing. And so, Basically, what happens after the 70 years of discipline, they are allowed then to trade again. And when they're allowed to trade again, they just go back to their old ways. And they're committing, uh, it's interesting, the way that God sees it. You know, harlotry. What do you mean harlotry? How is this harlotry? Because you're putting your money before God. Because we're putting material things before God, possessions before God. You know, we have to be so careful, you know, especially us. If I could just say this to you guys, we live in the United States of America where, man, we are so rich. We have so much, so many opportunities. And, you know, when I talk to you, I'm talking to myself as well. Um, Lord, help us to make sure that we're not, you know, robbing God of tithes. We're not robbing God of offerings. Why? Because, well, we have to have Whatever, whatever it is, the new car, the new house, the new clothes, the nice phone, the um, you know, cable television. I mean, we've got a million different things and, we are, and we're not giving to God the tithes and the offerings. That's what Malachi talks about. It says, give to God off the top what belongs to God. And then other things, God in one sense says to Malachi, you're obligated to, to give beyond that. You know, and we can think of, People who are in need. We can think, I've even recently, my cousin, you know, passed away. And so there's a, a need there financially. Or maybe there are persons you're listening to on the radio all the time and you never give anything and God's been convicting you of that or the whosoever's or an orphanage or you name it. But we don't do that. We don't have anything left over. Why? Because we sometimes are committing adultery. Like what he's talking about right here, harlotry with the nations. And so... Again, it's a literal thing. It's commercial Babylon, though, in Revelation 18. It's Tyre, born again. We see it. And uh, I think God's tired of that. If I could just say it that way. Be careful, you guys. So, you know, um, Isaiah 6. Do you remember how the Lord revealed himself? Do you guys remember? When, when, when you know, the Lord showed himself to Isaiah. And you remember the... the the angels, the cherubim are around the throne. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 
And so God is gracious. God is long-suffering. But understand, God is holy and he will judge. And so right now, man, we're getting ready for that. And so after the, the nations, and he, like I said, uh, leading up to Isaiah 23, you can read, list the nine nations that God judges. Then in Isaiah 24, he judges the whole wide world. Look what we read in verse 1. It says, Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty and makes it waste, distorts its surface, and scatters abroad its inhabitants. And so we're going to read about the earth. As a matter of fact, the earth is mentioned 16 times in this one chapter. And when we see God judging the, the world, um, where is that? What's that called, uh, you Bible students? What's that called when God comes and judges the earth? You guys know? It's the, the tribulation period, right? Where the wrath of the Lamb comes. And so you guys know what's next? More than likely, it's the rapture of the church. So God's going to take us up. Then seven years of tribulation in which he judges the world. He deals with Israel, brings them back to him. And then after that, you have the return of Christ. You have the thousand-year reign. And then we have the new heaven and the new earth. And Isaiah's going to be dealing with a lot of these things tonight. And so right now, he's talking about the judgment of the earth. And he says in verse 2, And it shall be, because God shows no social partiality on this, as with people, so with priests, as with a servant, so with his master, as with the maid, so with her mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the lender, so with the borrower, as with the creditor, so with the debtor. The land shall be entirely emptied and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. And just in case someone says, well, I'm a pastor, I'm a priest. Well, do you know the Lord? Are you are you a Christian? Because um, have you guys seen those left behind movies, the rapture movies? The pastor always gets left behind. Have you noticed that? <laughs> so there's a lot of pastors that are not saved. And so it doesn't matter if you're a priest. It doesn't matter if you have money. No partiality on this whole thing. The, 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 what we find during the tribulation period is everyone who is not saved will be killed, will be slaughtered by God. Those who are saved, if they die, then they're going to you know, enter in. They'll become tribulation saints. And those who survive the tribulation period, if they're saved, then they're going to enter into, if they haven't died, they'll enter into the millennial kingdom. And so God here, he has you know, no favorites. Right? It doesn't matter if you're a priest or pastor. Money won't mean anything. Positions, possessions, it won't matter at all. What matters, you guys, is where you are in your relationship with God. You know, if I could just say this to you guys, and I'll just tell you real quick. You know, Joey sent me a text before he passed away. It was the day before, and he sent me a text. And I told you guys this, right? He sent me a text message. Um, I'll see you soon, Lord willing. And I, I don't know. I, I, I was talking to the Lord about that today, and I was like, Lord, okay, you called my brother home. Are you calling me home? Are you kind of sending like a little message that says, I'm going to see him soon? And, you know, I'm not trying to be weird or anything, but um, it doesn't really change our mentality. You guys, we don't know when we're going to die. We don't know when, you know, the rapture is going to happen. And so we just have to always be ready. And so when we're talking about being ready, we're talking about being in right relationship with God. 
Uh, honestly, you know, young, old, doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. Um, one of the things that I've noticed about spending time with the Lord or coming to church or whatever is, you know, you got to open up your heart and you have to expect God to speak to you. You know, the other day when I was spending time with the Lord and I was reading, you know, my, my assigned scriptures for the day, I was just telling the Lord, I said, Lord, speak to me. You know what's going on in my life. I need to hear a personal word from you. And of course, we know the Bible is, is sufficient. The Bible is God's you know, word to us. And so I don't want to in any way say that's not sufficient. But I just, you know, there's something like, Lord, tell me something that I really need to hear. And so as I read my assigned reading, I, I got some cool things, but I still didn't feel like that I heard his voice the way that I wanted to. So you know what I did? I just kept reading. And as I kept reading, it went beyond what was assigned to me. All of a sudden, God just spoke to me. Because there's things that I'm dealing with. There's, you know, struggles that I have, whatever it might be. And it was, there was no doubt about it that the God of the universe spoke to me. And I believe with all my heart that we should have that approach. You come to church service. You don't, you don't leave until God speaks to you. You have to ask the Lord, Lord, tell me something. Give me a scripture. It might not even be something that I say. It might be something that the Holy Spirit puts inside of you. But we have to know that we have a personal relationship with God. And if you want to be ready for the rapture, if you want to be ready to die, then you can't just be playing church. It has to be you know, a real relationship. And so, you know, um, here we see uh, God's going to judge the nations. God's going to judge the the whole world. Look what he says in verse 4. The earth mourns and and fades away. The the world languishes and fades away. The, The haughty people of the earth languish. And the earth is also defiled under its inhabitants because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, the curse has devoured the earth, and those who dwell in it are desolate. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men are left. You know, it says in the New Living Translation, in verse 5, that the earth suffers for the sins of its people, For they have twisted God's instructions and violated his laws and broken his everlasting covenant. You know, and and that's definitely where we're at today. I'll tell you what, they definitely have taken what God's God's order, God's natural order, whatever, it could be male and female and there's no such thing and, and marriage and, you know, you name it, the very existence of God is being denied and you know, stuff down the throat of our children. And this is so many things that we see. And we are definitely a society that has done exactly what he says right here. We've changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. We are ripe for judgment. And so to me, it just makes perfect sense, though, because there's a remnant. Right here it says, and few men are left. At the end of the tribulation period, it says, the inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men are left. And so the ones that are left are actually the ones, like I said, the saved who survived the tribulation period. They're going to be allowed into the millennial kingdom. There is a remnant. 
So doesn't it make sense to you that even in our states, there are those who love the Lord? It makes sense. God's going to rapture out his people, and then he's going to judge the other 99%. Because we have definitely said, um, we don't want you to be God. No, I'm God. I'm going to make up the rules. We come to that place, Isaiah 5.20, where good is evil and evil is good. And it's just, it's, it's defiled. That's what he says right here. The earth is defiled. And so um, verse 7 says the new wine fails, the, the vine languishes, all the merry-hearted sigh, the, the mirth of the tambourine ceases, the noise of the jubilant ends, the joy of the harp ceases. They shall not drink wine with a song. Strong drink is bitter to those who, who drink it. I mean, again, just saying, you know, all these people that we see today that are partying, all these people we see today, they're, they're just having a good time. Yeah, I, I don't need God. God says, that's all going to be taken away. Believe you me, no more joy. I mean, the wine and, and the music, those were symbols of joy and they were gifts to God, but they were unfortunately perverted. And that's something that we see in Revelation 18, verse 21, the same thing. It's going to eventually happen all across the board. And so verse 10 of Isaiah 24 says, the city of confusion is broken down. Every house is shut up so that none may go in. Basically, he's saying there eventually would come that time where you have to lock your doors because, you know, it's going to be chaos. It's going to be madness. You guys know that, huh? Anarchy. That's what's what it's going to be like during that tribulation period. You know, there was a time, even in our you know area, where you didn't have to lock the door, right? Do you guys remember those days? Any of you guys old enough to remember those days when I was growing up? We never locked our doors, but now you have to. And so we see this is going to be amplified during that time. Verse 11, there is a cry for wine in the streets. All joy is darkened. The mirth of the land is gone. In the city, desolation is left and the gate is stricken with destruction. When it shall be thus in the midst of the land among the people, it shall be like the shaking of an olive tree and like the gleaning of grapes when the vintage is done. When God pours out his wrath on the unbelieving world in the tribulation period, all will be desolate and gloomy. Little will be left. Kind of like the harvesting of olives, uh, the gleaning afterwards, you know, like remember uh, Ruth would come, they would, they, they, would, they would, you know, harvest, but then there would be little things left over at the end. That's kind of how it's going to be. I mean, we've seen, maybe you've seen some of those movies where these cities get wiped out. I mean, we're talking about stuff like that. This is real, and it's, it's ahead. And I was thinking about how Isaiah is writing this prophecy, and I don't know how the people of his day thought. You know, he's talking about judgment, and God's holy, and, you know, stuff like that. But I know eventually he got sawn in half by King Manasseh. I don't like what you're saying. I don't like you're saying that, you know, God's a holy God and God's going to judge me and there's a place called hell and, you know, you're saying that I'm wrong and, you know, I'm trying to be culturally, you know, relevant and, you know, whatever. And, and, you know, eventually Manasseh couldn't put up with it. Imagine dying that way, sawn in half. That's how Isaiah died. But then, you know, in glory. I was thinking today, Lord, it's kind of cool, you know, when you get 
whatever, a nice word from someone or a, a compliment. Um, hopefully we don't live for those things because, man, we, we really shouldn't be looking for those accolades. I was just talking to the Lord today. I said, all I want to hear is from you. Well done. That's all I want. I don't care if anyone else says anything. And people might not even like what I share. They might not like it because, you know, just teaching the Bible. I'm not really sharing all the other stuff. doesn't even matter. He's the only one we have to please. And so, you know, there's, there's only a few in the olive tree. There's only a couple of grapes, you know, that are going to be left over, that are going to be right. And look what happens in verse 14. It's interesting. It says, they shall lift up their voice. They shall sing. Uh, the word they now refers to the righteous who will be left after God's judgment on the earth. There's just a few in number, but they're going to delight in the fact that the earth is cleansed at this point. And God, justice has prevailed. It says, they shall lift up their voice. They shall sing for the majesty of the Lord. They shall cry aloud from the sea. Therefore, glorify the Lord in the, in the dawning light. The name of the Lord God of Israel in the coastlands of the sea from the ends of the earth, we have heard songs, glory to the righteous. And the believing remnant will view the earth's desolation as a righteous act by the righteous God. You know, if you guys have been going through the Bible, and I know we just got done reading it again, uh, to me, it's such a, a blessing the way that the righteous see the judgment of God. You know, because the world will be like, wow, I can't believe God would do that. And, you know, they have this mentality, almost like God is, you know, mean, when, when all reality is because they don't have a clue of what sin is and what holiness is. But when you do, you're like, man, that's so righteous, what God does. And that's what they're going to say. That's what happens. Isaiah then responds in Isaiah 24, 16, the latter portion, it says, but I said, Isaiah says, I am ruined, ruined, woe to me. The treacherous dealers have dealt treacherously. Indeed, the treacherous dealers have dealt very treacherously. Isaiah knew what was head for his nation in his day. He knew those things. There will be nowhere to run. We read in verse 17, fear and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of the earth. And it shall be that he who flees from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit. And some people believe this is actually in reference to hell or maybe even the abyss. And he who comes up from the midst of the pit shall be caught in the snare for the windows from on high are open and the foundations of the earth are shaken. Uh, if you read the book of Revelation, there's four major earthquakes. And they're so crazy that we're going to read here the earth is opened and we're going to read in the book of Revelation that mountains, uh, they, they, they're flattened and islands are taken away. I mean, God is going to really deal with this planet. I mean, the people who don't know him, who resist his forgiveness it says right here and it shall be that he who flees from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit and he who comes up from the midst of the pit shall be caught in the snare for the windows from on high are open and the foundations of the earth are shaken the earth is violently broken the earth is split open the earth is shaken exceedingly 
The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard and shall totter like a hut. Its transgression shall be heavy upon it and it will fall and not rise again. Imagine that. You know, you got this earth spinning a thousand miles per hour at a certain angle and Amen. When God just kind of probably, you guys ever spin those things? Do you guys ever do that? All you got to do is touch it a little bit and it starts wobbling. And that's kind of what is going to happen. You know, and so um, it says in verse 21, it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will punish on high the host of exalted ones and on the earth, the kings of the earth. And they will be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit and will be shut up in the prison, and after many days they will be punished. So he's talking about, we've talked about this before, how when people die, they go to Hades, they go to hell. Um, Some say it's in the middle of the earth, but that's just a holding tank, because then uh, a thousand years later, they're going to stand before God. The Bible talks about that in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, at the great white throne judgment. That's when they're going to be punished. If anyone whose name's not written in the book of life, they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. And so that's what he's talking about right here. And they'll be shut up in the prison. And then after many days, they will be punished. And then the moon will be disgraced. The sun is shamed. For the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and before his elders, gloriously. And so Jesus will be reigning on Mount Zion in in Jerusalem. And if you're a Christian and you know the Lord, then you're going to be reigning with him. So again, reading again, Isaiah 13 through 23, the judgment of the nations. Chapter 24, the judgment of the world. And then look at Isaiah 25. This chapter is a praise uh, towards God, exalting him for the deliverance of his people. And so we see uh, these things described in verse 1. He says, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and, and truth. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, you planned them long ago and now you've accomplished them. Uh, I don't know how you guys do in your praise. You know, sometimes I wonder, Lord, are we praising you the way that we should? You know, and we're working on it. We live in fallen world and fallen bodies. But let me tell you guys, man, in that day, we will praise him the way that we should. He says in verse 2, For you have made a a city a ruin, a fortified city a ruin, a palace of foreigners to be a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore the strong people will glorify you. The the city of a terrible nations will fear you, for you have been a strength to the poor. That's, That's me, that's us. A strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat, for the the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. You know, we're praising God because, number one, he dealt with the the rebellious. He, He judged the unrepentant. But even in that, did you guys know that during the tribulation period, many people are going to get saved? 
And so he's talking about how those terrible people will now eventually they're going to actually get right. Some of them will. And so we're just going to be praising him for these things. God has been a strength to the poor and needy, a refuge from the storm and shade. And I just thank him for that. That's to us even applicable nowadays. He protects us in every way. He says in verse 5, You will reduce the noise of aliens as heat in a dry place, as heat in the shadow of a cloud. The song of the terrible ones will be diminished. And in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of, of wines on the lees, of fat things, full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees. And he will... Destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. And what that's in reference to, if you can visualize a dead person and they're just covered with this, whatever the, 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 the blanket type of thing is, that's what he's talking about right here. He will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people, the veil that is spread over all nations, and he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And that right there, isn't that, you guys, I mean, that's what it's all about. You know, I mean, dealing with the nations, judging the, the world, uh, God doesn't necessarily, you know, take joy in the fact that those have rejected him will suffer the consequences of it. But he deals with that and he brings us to that place where eventually it says right here that he will swallow up death forever. And when we're in heaven, there will be no vulnerability. There will be no possibility you know, to die. We will live. There will be no more death. And that's why he says right here, and he's going to wipe away the tears from all faces. You know, I was thinking the other day, I was thinking about all the people that have passed away this last year, or just recently. I'm thinking about, yeah, my brother Edward, and we used to pray, and I remember his laugh, and Jose, and, you know, Johnny, and, and Joey, and I just started going through you know, all the different individuals that, you know, just larger than life and, and you miss them so much. And you guys, I mean, all of us here have been hit. Something's going on. But they're, 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 death is swallowed up. No more death. No more sorrow. No more sickness. No more Satan. And that's, that to me, when I, when I read the scriptures, I'm like, Lord, that's what, what it's all about. We read that verse is quoted in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty four. I love what it says. It says, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. You know, we're going to get a new body that's going to be able to have it heaven forever. You know, I'm getting older, you know, and it's a trip. You know, how things are happening in my life. And I'm like, wow, Lord, I'm, I think I'm ready for a trade-in. You know, we're going to get one of those. Revelation 20.14 says, Death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. No more, you know, death. It's actually cast in, 
to the lake of fire. And we read in Revelation 21 verse 4 that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. In verse 9 it says, And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And I love that, you know. When I read that right here where it says we have waited for him, I I think uh, uh, along the lines of like kind of like you guys, you're Christians, right? Well, your faith is going to get tested. Things are going to happen to you. You might even, I don't know what's going to happen. You might get doubts or whatever. But, but what, 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 when you wait for the Lord, you like stay the course. You stay the course. You don't lose heart through the difficult times. You, you walk by faith. You keep believing. You, know, you, you just knew it was true. All this that we're talking about about judgment and about grace and about heaven and about hell and about Jesus and what he's done for us. You know, if you are a Christian, then you know that that God has spoken to you, that God has done these miracles in our life. You know, I, I, God shows himself to me all the time. The other day, uh, we had um, a plumbing issue at home, and so the water that was draining out of our washing machine the pipe that it goes into, it was overflowing. And so basically there was a clog there, whatever you might call it. And so we had to call a plumber. We know a plumber guy. And um, it was kind of cool. You know, he came down and then anyways, he fixed it. And uh, when we started talking and I asked him about, about going to church and stuff, and uh, it was just a divine appointment. There was no doubt about it because he told me, you know, it's funny that you, you, you're talking to me because yesterday I was hearing on the radio he said the exact same thing that you just said. And, and the Lord, sometimes he'll do little things like that, little things. They're bigger than we realize, but just to show us, hey, I, I'm real. And so we wait on him. We, it, it takes patience and it takes endurance, but we believe. We believe. And that's what he's talking about right here. Verse 10, for on this mountain, the hand of the Lord will rest and Moab. Now here, Moab is kind of like the symbol of all the enemies. Moab shall be trampled down under him as straw is trampled down for the refuse heap. And he will spread out his hands in their midst as a swimmer reaches out to swim. So can you visualize a swimmer going like this? Kind of like, that's what he's saying, man. He's going to deal with him. He will bring down Their pride together with the trickery of their hands, the fortress of the high fort of your walls who bring down, lay low and bring to the ground down to the dust. And God's going to deal with that. You know, and so again, um, when you go through the prophets and Isaiah, you know, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, you just start going through all the prophets, you just kind of see the same thing over and over and over again. God's going to judge the world. God's going to judge the nations. But God's going to redeem his people. Israel and his church 
We're going to see that over and over and over again. There's a rapture, there's a thousand-year reign, and then there's a new heaven and a new earth. And the Bible says that that hope that we have, that certain certainty about the future, is an anchor for our soul. I remember one time, you know, they asked, uh, Jesus was you know, sharing some things, and it was getting a little difficult for them to understand, and people started walking away from the Lord. And so as people were walking away, it says that in John chapter 6, verse 66, the Lord then looked at Peter and said, how about you? Are you going to leave? And I love what Peter said. He said, Lord, where, where shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And that's us, huh? I pray that we would stay on track, that we would wait on him, because one day we're going to praise him, because all this that we're studying is going to... It's going to be real, you know? It's going to be something that we walk no longer by faith, but eventually by sight.